Hello and welcome to another World Cup special from AFR Voice. Today, we're all taking a nice big breather. It's an awful playing day, and it is for another day, but thankfully it will return. But it does mean we've got time to reflect upon some of the super tight last 16 encounters and some mouth-watering quarterfinal matchups to come. We'll also be joined by AFR's Nathan McVitie to analyse US MNT's failed but heroic World Cup climax. The Tim Howard for President campaign starts here. Hello, Alex. Why am I not watching a football match right now? I don't know. You've got shakes. There's only eight games left. I, I don't even want to think about that. But, <laughs> uh, eight juicy ones. I don't know why I keep torturing you about that. So so you can't really, right now, you can't really imagine going back to domestic club football. Are you just kind of in a, in a coma of World Cup? I'm just I'm just bathing in it, and yeah, the thought of like even like transfer gossip just isn't really getting me that that excited. Or I saw last week the, the uh, draw for uh, the uh, the Capital One Cup first round came out last week. I was just disgusted just even looking at it. Just doesn't just doesn't interest me. I just want this to ha- just to go on just indefinitely. <laughs> just international knockout football. That'd be amazing if we can just squeeze four World Cups into each year. Everyone will be happy then. Everyone gets to host it. Hello, Paddy. Don't give Seth Blatter ideas. Yeah, God. I'm Platini as well. Are you well? I'm, I'm very well. Um, likewise, unless it's two teams from entirely different continents, then I don't give a shit. Quite the statement there. Thanks for that, Paddy. Um, we made a little trip back to the old King's Head for the US-Belgium game, didn't we? Can you describe the sight you saw as you walked up to the door? People. A lot. A lot of people. America was there. <laughs> I was saying, I was, I'm really busy at work at the moment. I'm basically working on American time. So to go from that into that bar, I wasn't quite sure if I'd accidentally caught a plane. Like My body clock thought I was in the States. My, the bar certainly thought it was. It was utterly fantastic. Obviously, we've been there for the last three games now. And to see it grow from the Portugal game to Germany to, to last night. I know we'll chat about this with Nathan later, but it's just entirely positive and so much fun and so enjoyable and just one of my highlights of the World Cup easily. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think I, I tweeted a photo of Ben and I. We, we were sitting on the street outside because we couldn't get <laughs> inside and they, they had a TV facing out of sort of a window, well, two TVs outside actually, and people just sitting in, in sort of a little alleyway watching it. It was incredible. I believe. Yeah, it was an ama- amazing atmosphere. And just after this thing, we'll talk about that game, that colossal game, and the remaining last 16 fixtures. We're going to review those in just a short while. Now then, at least 14 million people in America, at the very least, t- tuned in to the US-Belgium game last night. And they were arguably treated to one of the most exciting games in this World Cup, nay, probably for a good decade, actually. Sadly, Klinsman's brave men came up just short, as we know. But to help us identify those inches between winning and losing and reflect upon the American campaign as a whole, we're joined by AFR contributor and huge USMNT fan, Nathan McVitie. Hello, Nathan. Hello, how are you doing? I'm all right, but I, it was in the pit of my stomach. I'm 
I'm quite gutted, perhaps more than when England went out. I'm sure you're feeling a little bit of misery uh, the yeah. morning after um, the US got knocked out or the evening after, um, moreover. But how do you feel? Is it more positive? Is it more negative? I think the majority of fans of the US team probably feel somewhat similar, whereas there is that constant feeling of what could have been, but also that you can't be anything but proud. Um, and I think that word is going to be used constantly for the next, well, probably four years, to be honest. Uh, it's one of those things as well where you prayed and prayed that they'd get out of the group and then they did and anything after that was a consolation. So I would have to say I'm happy, yet I have to admit I had a few moments today reading stories and watching GIFs on Reddit that I was a little teary-eyed oh, in, in the office. But I held it together and I'm probably a better person for it. So Good man. Well, before we get really get into the meat of the chat, what's, what's your relationship with, uh, with America? Um, so I am English. I was born in Carlisle. I never went to a Carlisle game until I was about 15 years old, but grew up going to Newcastle games. Um, lived in Manchester for a long time, I'm fully English. I have a visa and went to school in the US, worked for the Cosmos for a couple of years, full disclosure. And just basically from my early 20s, which is about five years now, uh, if you're good at maths, you can figure out how old I am. <laughs> I just had this weird obsession with American soccer for some reason. I think I was very counterculture in my teenage years and I did not enjoy British football culture. So I ended up removing myself fully from it and then moving to America. Counterculture was soccer and I attached myself to it that way the brit in america liking american soccer was a very interesting dynamic and that's pretty much it really and just met a lot of lovely people through the internet and indeed uh yesterday uh would, would you say that's a good a good example a good representation of the amazing uh fan culture of american fans at the old king's head in yeah, London? i think it, i think it's a good representation of americans in general not just american soccer fans it's a micro uh it's like just a subset of fans, of course, but you can put out a tweet on the internet and be connected immediately to 500 people in America that, in, in London, sorry, that want to share the game with you. And that was fantastic. That was unexpected, amazing, unbelievable. Um, it was just something to be held. I mean, in you guys were there for more games than I was. So I think you could probably speak a little better than, than myself. <laughs> you were probably more sober than us, though, so you might remember. Oh, but maybe. If, maybe. Uh, but no, it was, yeah, well, we can say, yeah, Paddy, chipping if you want as well. But yeah, abs absolutely exhilarating. And that sort of edge of positivity, which we perhaps you don't get as an English fan. And so when you're bombarded shot after shot and Tim Howard is blocking them away, that seemed to sort of galvanise yeah, uh, the American fans. It seemed to be just a, an, an extra victory after victory after victory. You, wouldn't get that um, watching England it would be immediate sour grapes and misery absolutely and I mean there was a strange sometime during the second half as we inched closer to the 90th minute I had this strange like peace come over me where I just thought anything that goes towards Tim Howard is completely safe yeah and yeah. I've never I've never in all my Amazing. years granted I've not watched football every waking moment of my life like some of my friends but in all of my years, I have never once felt that, not watching Newcastle, not watching lower league football, not watching the best team, Brazil, watching Brazil in like the 90s or something. I never felt that way. So 
it was just the most amazing feeling. And then every time he did, did save it, it was a bigger cheer than the last time. So it says a lot about the fans watching as well. They were intelligent. They were lovely to be around, passionate, uh, sufficiently intoxicated that they were having a good time no matter what, even given the probably 30 Celsius degrees plus inside the pub and packed yeah. like 400 people you couldn't move. Everyone still managed to have a great time and there was no damage or violence or arguments or anything. It was just unbelievable. Good. Let's let's give some special props to Tim Howard then. 15 saves, which I believe is record-breaking. Is he pretty much now a bona fide cult hero of I American think, uh, soccer for, for the rest of all time? I, yes, he was close to it before that as well. And I tweeted last night, probably a little over-enthusiastically, that all 23, probably not 23, but most of those players on the squad should be regarded as legends. Now, legends is probably the wrong word to use for them, looking back in hindsight, but I think they did a, a, just a fantastic job, a great job of, if nothing else, inspiring people that would never have been inspired or thought that they could have done what they did. And I think you have to give everything context as well, which is probably something England and their fa- and its fans lose sometimes is context for their place on the world stage. And that's by no means a slight towards England or its fans. But I think by the nature of England, you don't have context because it's 24-7 football. Whereas going into the World Cup, Americans just didn't expect, genuinely didn't expect what happened. So I think you could easily regard Tim Howard because of his stats as a legend. As a Hall of Famer, shall we say, yeah. he could easily be put into the U.S. Hall of Fame, and I would expect nothing less eventually. Um, but I think a lot of those players stood up last night. It wasn't just Howard; it was um, Demarcus Beasley was was fantastic. If Howard hadn't won that man of the match, I think he could have done. Um, Julian Green had a good five minutes. <laughs> uh, you know, there's, there's plenty to mention. Michael Bradley even had his moments during the game. So. Uh, yeah, it was the one man that's really divided opinion over the four games. I, I think, you again, I, I've said this, just that the word again comes up, context. Michael Bradley was being played in a position that he might not necessarily have played ever before. Uh, two months ago, Jürgen Klinsmann just started playing him as like attacking midfielder, where he's previously been known as some of a defensive mid- midfielder. And then also, at, while playing at the World Cup as an attacking midfielder, expected to run back and cover the defence as well, which mm-hmm. explains his running stat at one else at the tournament. So I think, although he may not have come up big in the moments you would have expected him to, I think he did a job that a lot of people are quite happy to look over because it's easy to be negative about his performances, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, just absolutely full of running. It always... There wasn't a minute where he wasn't running in any of the games I saw. And, you know, to go through 120 minutes, people like um It's, those, as it's well. those intangibles, right? It's those intang- intangibles, the ones that some of these companies are trying to measure with subtle statistics these days. The, the things that you kind of see as a fan, but you don't know how to prove. And mm. I think Michael Bradley probably excelled in every single category in that regard last night. But all in all, people would still hit, say he had a bad World Cup because he didn't score goals. So, I don't know. I, th- I thought he played well. 
Mm. And that's what I kind of took away from the, the night and that. all the experiences at the King's Head as well, that in this World Cup and you know in this modern age where anyone could be an expert on Twitter, anyone can quote a passing statistic at you, when you're in the thick of a game, you're watching a game, none of that matters. It is those intangibles. It's the the unmeasurables, the yeah. atmosphere around you, the atmosphere of the people you're with. That, so, is, that is the spirit of the game. I was on I was on the bus to the to the pub watch the game and I was thinking to myself, I not because of alcohol or anything, but I black out during games. I watch them and then I try and remember what happened and I just physically cannot do it. <laughs> Even if I'm sober, stone cold sober, I just cannot think what, what where I was, what I was thinking, those plays. I have to look back at it the next day. And it's because of that. I'm just so into that moment. Last night I had to pull myself out of this like dream not dreamlike state, it sounds a bit strange, but I had to pull myself a bit back to reality while watching the game to realize where I was and what I was doing and what was actually happening on the screen as opposed to being caught up in the you know the, the fan the fan culture in that pub. I had to just take myself out of it for a second and really, really concentrate on the screen because I wanted to analyze the game, which is something I'm very guilty of probably not doing enough. I don't I do not pay attention to the game enough. I pay attention to the cheering moments like the passes in the final third or the court attacking corners or you know so like you say the intangibles are pretty pretty uh probably actually the intangibles are probably more important to american fans and passive american soccer fans than any other country just because that's what hooks you right that the the feeling of of excitement is what gets you going yeah absolutely no we're very much guilty of going with the cheers yeah. Um, just uh, just on an in, intangible, this this World Cup for USMNT, it feels extra special. It feels different somehow. You know, the the team have done quite well, um, relatively well in recent World Cups. Why why is this one gathered such a you know a, a hurricane of goodwill and passion? Not not just amongst fans, but across the media, ev- everything, well, everywhere. I think it's just. I almost want to say it's a case of same old, same old. This happens every World Cup cycle. It's just that there's so many more. You have such a bigger base now for it to inspire. So four years ago, eight years ago, whenever it was, you always get this bump and you always get this media bump. But I think just because every time a World Cup passes, you some of those guys stick around. So every World Cup, that bump is bigger and more exponential. And eventually, I think of this as a graph in my head, you know, it's just like always on the up, but you get these peaks every four years. Yeah. And I just think there really isn't that big of a limit as to where it could go. Just the media numbers alone are ridiculous already. But if you think about even 50%, and it's a high percentage, 50% of the people who are passive fans before, if they stick around to watch football in general that's a massive base you're going to break those those media those viewership easily in, in the next four years and plus you have copa america you have uh hopefully confederations come up in 2017 you have um what else do we have women's world cup we have under 20 world cup we have all these things going on in the next four years and then you have the euros on television the same year as copa in america so it's gonna be a big big four years absolutely yeah so so the future is looking pretty bright you'd think looking forward on to the next next world cup not only are you really salivating what you've seen the last few weeks but it gives you a lot of hope for potentially going very deep in a world cup 
that's very soon exactly it and i think everyone thinks the same way i think people probably use the word hope every four years for a world cup cycle for the u.s anyway but it just becomes more and more exciting the further we get in and don't forget the u.s like has a massive history of soccer football for those who don't know i mean our fa was founded in 1913 We've been playing like organized football since the 1800s as well. It's just, it's been the biggest case of uh, hills and valleys you've ever seen when it comes to popularity of the sport. So I think consistency is probably the name of the game and that we've had nothing but that for the last 20 years. So I think with the prevalence of social media, of the changing in media digestion, like social media and also just the tone now is much more personable than it maybe was 20 years ago. These companies and these federations like U.S. soccer are connecting with people in a much more personal way than they would have done back then. So you get this emotional connection you never would have done before, which is probably an advertiser's wet dream, so to speak. <laughs> you have all of these opportunities and all of this money and then 350 million people, uh, you know, hundreds of million people watching the game. It's probably going to be the biggest sporting boom and i mean people have been saying this since the 70s but we're finally getting to the point now where we can genuinely say it and not cringe about it and not think oh we've been saying this for that long we can probably start saying that truthfully now it's yeah I think that kind of that kind of hits it hits the nail on the head. The way we, you know, even speaking as an English fan, observing Americans, there's no there's no more sort of baiting them anymore. There's no more taking the Mickey out of them. Anymore. Well, there is. There absolutely is. Well, not to the same extent. Well, yeah. not to the same extent as it used to be. You, you kind of, me and Paddy, we had the conversation last night. We're saying, hang on, who's more likely to win a win a World Cup next? Is it America or is it England? Yeah, and that's the interesting. Same conversation I've had so many times at that pub in the last couple of weeks. It's nothing but congratulations from from brits and it feels a little lost on me because i am english and i do have a love for england as well but i'm with that being said i probably have the perfect scenario where i can feel my my own emotions for england and take what they tell me in context about the us and over the last four years you kind of develop as a fan of your you develop this thick skin to just deflect all of the hatred and all of the like jokes and everything aside and then finally for once unexpectedly i might add you get this feeling of well-being and feeling of love from a foreign country from which you probably wouldn't expect you wouldn't expect to get love from british fans but you do and it makes you feel good makes you feel positive and i mean all roads lead upwards right now now it's just the most uh, positive thing you could ever imagine. Well, I will say, and I know I'm talking a lot, but I will say that you've never really felt this confident about everything that's going on before. You always there was always a a worry, and now, even though we're out, and you do think that if we could have just won that game, can you imagine what it would have been like? Even if we lost in the quarterfinals, can you imagine? how obsessed that country would have been with the game. It's still, there's not, there's nothing you can do but be positive, basically. It's just, every time I try and discuss this, it's like, I end up at the same point. I just like, end 
giving up and just smiling with a grin. <laughs> Perfect. Well, finally, just to finish up, Nathan, you've been a very lucky boy indeed. You've been in Brazil. Yeah. That, that um, was, uh, so, yeah, tell us what you were doing there. And if you can, sum up the majesty of uh, being in Brazil for the World Cup for those of us who weren't quite as fortunate to make it, but would love to hear what it was. I've, tri- I've about. tried, and it's difficult to put into words, but very uh, graciously, Budweiser um, reached out to a football report and wanted us to go and capture the World Cup in only the way that a football report knows how. So at the time, I recently just started working again since I got back, but I was contributing on a few projects at the time, and I had the week available, luckily, and uh, I flew down courtesy of Budweiser, and we brought a photographer along, and we captured uh, some of the scenes down there. We got a lot of photos and some video stuff. Just of our time, we were in Rio. We went to Sao Paulo. We saw three games. That was um, Spain versus Chile at the Maracanã, which was life-changing, just absolutely life-changing. Um, we saw Belgium versus Russia at the Maracanã, and then they also took us to Sao Paulo for the day, and we saw Netherlands versus Chile. So it was something I never expected. I was hoping to go to the World Cup for the last four years and never had the money saved up and all these other reasons, but last minute it happened and I couldn't be more happy. There is nothing more special than seeing that many people care about that sport in such a small space. I'm not saying Brazil is small, but I was in Rio. So in you walk a mile and you see every single jersey, you see every single type of fan and all people think about or are thinking about is football. Um, it's very hard to put into words but it was magical is probably the best way to say it like in the hotel watching a game and you have your balcony door open even if it's not brazil any country scores a goal and the entire neighborhood just screams and fireworks go off and there's air horns and like fully grown men leaning out the window screaming as loud as they can it's how I would hope America is going to be in 50 years when, when they, uh, you know, win a world cup and everyone's screaming from their houses and, you know, fireworks going up into the air. It can. So it can. And the, I wish I could have had all of my friends in Brazil. It was the most amazing time. They have the most beautiful country. Um, I didn't know a word of Portuguese before I went and I ended up with about 10 words, which is probably, uh, a victory of sorts. So if nothing else, I got to experience my first ever World Cup in Brazil and learned 10 Portuguese words. So I'm job. very, very smitten still. It's still it's getting me through the first <laughs> first, first week at work. I'm Clearly still I. looking back in at back at it, looking through my photos on my iPhone. Yeah. Magical and life changing. That Indeed. that sound that sounds perfect. And just just to finish off and just to sign off on US MNT, I think and I didn't think I'd be using his words, but Danny Murphy who was the pundit on the English TV last night. He said, I haven't seen character, desire, effort and courage like that in this World Cup. And that's there's no finest sentence to sum up um, America's USMNT's performance last night. Thank you. Would, oh, go on. Yeah, just one last thing. I would say just expanding on that point about the commentator from last night, Danny Murphy. Um, I have felt in the past that commentators especially perhaps commentators from countries that don't know much about the culture around certain other countries and the football there it can be a little grasping at straws but 
especially for that last game, that game last night, the commentators were nothing but fantastic uh, for both countries, obviously for Belgium because they know a lot of the players, but it was really, really nice to see um, educated discussion about football on television. Um, and I think you sometimes don't get the level of education that you would hope to see. And last night was nothing short of it. There we go. Props. Props to Jürgen. Props to the BBC and props to you, Nathan. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me, guys. Talk soon. Thank you for that, Nathan. Fantastic insight there. I still can't stop digging away at that match, though. Lads, we've got to speak about it a little bit more. That extra time was absolutely incredible. A little bit special, wasn't it, Alex? Absolutely amazing, as you say. I mean, usually with extra time, a lot of players are dead on their feet. Quality really drops off and people sort of run the clock down to penalties. But this was, everyone seemed to just crank it up another gear. Uh, Belgium really took things by the scruff of the neck. And you thought when they were tuning up, that was it, game over. And then the US just got this, I don't know what they're putting in the water in their trading camp. Because they just have this resurgence of energy. And Belgium were really hanging on for dear life at the end. And US, oh, if just a couple of things had gone their way, if Dempsey had managed to squeeze the ball under Courtois or... Or Jones has got that shot on target. It could have been a very, very different story. But fantastic, fantastic way to to finish. What was an exhilarating game, even though it was goalless for so long. It was still pretty. It was absolutely just intriguing, fascinating throughout. Yeah, that amazing set piece. If that had come off, a big juice. Sadly not. But that was a little bit special as well. Um, Belgium. Um, we shouldn't ignore them. USMNT were playing against a team. Do we? Do we feel like they they deserved? You know, after all the praise we're heaping heaping on uh, Klinsmann's men. Should we say that Belgium really deserved that and have stepped up a few gears? Um, I don't know if they necessarily stepped up a few gears, but I think they were probably good for the win. I mean, you look at everyone's talking about Tim Howard's getting this record amount of saves in a World Cup. And part of the reason for that is because Belgium were frequently attacking, making incisive attacks. I mean, Paddy and I were watching it, discussing how every time the US seemed to have an attack, it was followed by a Belgian counterattack and they'd have two or three men over every time. And they really could have scored a, a lot more. But having said that, <clears throat> the US put in a great performance as well and were very resilient although it was also the Belgians that were resilient as well they haven't really conceded many goals this tournament other than that late Julian Green goal and the uh, penalty uh, in their first game against Algeria so they, I think they could they could still offer more they've got some big names that maybe could offer more but they are still looking dangerous and I think they're going to be a tricky tricky opponent for, uh, for Argentina in the quarters yeah okay, I'll we'll preview the, that game shortly yeah so the revelation of Origi uh, the youngster from Lille which means that you now have this rather handy impact player off the bench by the name of Rebelo Lukaku. You know, it, everything's coming up for them. I feel a bit of momentum. Not I, bad at all, eh? I do fancy them to, to, to pull a shock against Argentina. Well, pro props to uh, Wilmots as well. In terms of substitutions, it couldn't go too much better. Um, four out of the six substitutions he's made have actually ended up scoring. Not bad. Um, right, let's head back up um, to the first couple of games in the second round. We're just going to race through them and then pluck out any of our personal hymen, uh, highlights. highlights. God, that's, that's a tricky one to say, isn't it, for me anyway? Brazil. You remember them? Yeah, they're hosting this thing. They beat Chile on penalties. Um, so so tight and ex extraordinarily nervy to watch. It was, it was quite grim for the extra time. Nice to see... Um, uh, Cesar making amends for 2010. I don't know if you remember that, but as you may recall, he had a bit of a howler, an individual error, flapping away against Holland in 2010. So it's quite nice to see him emotional and crying for the good reasons this time. 
Also, someone who's quite emotional and crying, probably for worse reasons, is a Brazilian fan. <laughs> and this video has gone viral. Um, he was watching Cesar make pretty decent save and such was his joy such was the ecstasy of that moment he slapped both of his hands over his hd screen and slapped it broken the screen froze so there's that sort of 10 seconds of silence and then the immediate panic of where the hell am i going to watch the end of this penalty shooter the, just the the karate chop just the raw emotion great Although apparently, apparently i think it might be his dad's tv he's going to buy him a new one in time for the uh, for the quarterfinal oh you've got you've always got the extra details i like that about you uh, also, in terms of absolutely amazing dramatic moments, was Mauricio Pinilla, uh, the Chile forward, just inches away at the end of extra time, I do believe, splatting the crossbar drama. And as a nice little touch, that boy likes tattoos. He got a tattoo the next day. Of no, him, yeah, of him kicking the ball against the crossbar, and it just says one centimetre away from glory. So I think he's getting over it. Do you know whereabouts that tattoo is? Or bottom of the back or... Across the I think shoulders. it's. I think it's. Uh, I think it's on his back. Is, is it tied in with the wings on his neck? I don't know. I'm gonna have to look look into that. Let's let's hope so. Hey, um, Chile, we like them. They're good fun. Brilliant attacking team. I assume Alex, you're gonna be sad to see them go. Oh, definitely. I think I think they've partly sort of represented one of the things that's been great about this tournament. Just a lot of teams that maybe don't have a huge amount of players that you'd recognise, just playing absolutely out of their skins as a unit working hard for each other and obviously they've got some quality players in there like Alexis Sanchez but they, they've been absolutely fantastic dumped Spain out of the competition ran Brazil very very close and um, I know before that game I think Luis Felipe Scolari said he was the team they were most worried about and uh, his worries were, were well founded and as you say only a centimetre from, from getting through to the quarters and I think maybe they're helping to set a real blueprint for a lot of teams showing that you don't necessarily need those big names but if you've got a good system you work hard for each other and, you, and obviously they do have quality as well but you can really go far in these in these huge competitions, and they were, you know, as as you say, not far away. Yeah, absolutely. You don't need a team of Galacticos. You need a, a very strong team ethic, and ideally, two world class players. Um, Colombia, Uruguay, James, Hammers, Rodriguez, discuss. Tasty, tasty. <laughs> I was um I was I was on a weekend away with some friends, and I was playing some sort of word game but I'd made sure that I was positioned inside the TV in the background. I was sort of half watching it, and I turned to speak to someone. I looked up, and just the Colombian players were just were just dancing, doing a celebration. So, oh, they've scored. All right, I'll check out that replay. And I just saw them just chesting it up and just thought, surely not. And then just everything from just the power to the way it just cannoned off the bottom of the crossbar and in, just sublime. It was a balletic Yeboah. It was like a, the Yeboah strike in a little black dress. That's and, what and red shoes. That's what it really said to me that you know, it's the passing of a generation. I was in our mid twenties. That is, and always will be your burring. But for the kids of today, the adults of tomorrow, it's Rodriguezing. Oh no! Say it ain't so. He's got to do it again. He's got to put it again. But yeah, but the baton's been passed. Yeah, well, he's he's, he's having a fantastic tournament of it, isn't he? He's, I think I believe that's. Is that four or five goals for him now? I think that's five goals for him now in the World Cup. Yeah. Um, a little word for Uruguay. Unsurprisingly, looking a little bit, uh, shall we say, impotent, if I can use that word, um, without Luis Suarez. An amazing stat here as well. In the 2010-2014 World Cup, Uruguay played 11 games. They've lost four. Suarez has not been able to play in either of those because of suspension. So <laughs> we all know he's crucial, but it very much plays out in stats. 
No, most definitely. And, and I, I think any team would miss someone like him. But I think they, they're a bit short of ideas. But also, Colombia, I think, have been one of the most impressive teams of, of the tournament. Yeah. yeah. It, what's it, not to love about Colombia? I mean, great, great players, great celebration as well. Who's their, um, I can't remember his name now. He plays on both wings, but he's been bagging lots of assists as well. Quadrado. Quadrado, he's been a very special player, yeah. Three assists and a goal. I think he was the top dribbler or something in Serie A last season. He's been brilliant. I've got a friend of mine who's um, living in Colombia at the moment. I might try and get him on the show. And He's been in Brazil watching a few games. Says Colombia have definitely been the most impressive team that he's seen. And, and he's sort of tipping them to, to cause an upset against Brazil come Friday night. Cool. So, yeah. yeah get your house on it. We'll preview that one very shortly. Um, Holland, Mexico, very hot. <laughs> Crikey. We saw a fried dirt cow, didn't we? Did you see his heat map? No. Oh, it's beautiful. He's pretty much everywhere, just smothered everywhere. He was left back, right back, right wing and forward. He does a job, even in 38 degrees Celsius. Um, There's some amazing pictures to come out that saw hundreds of uh, fans who were in the heat of that first half actually had to leave the stands and they were watching the game on TVs within the concourse of the stand. Really? Such is the heat. A little bit of a scary reminder of how Qatar might end up being, if you ask me. Nah. Every Am I being silly? I can't. Is it? Oh, that's okay then. But what do you think of these? What do you think of the calling breaks? Do you think uh, Holland really capitalised on those? Well, I think hasn't hasn't Van Hal said that they were crucial and that it allowed him to get his tactics across and oh, really? uh, sort of relay relay messages and. Um, I think he also started talking about himself in the third person, sort of saying Van Hal made Love a substitution, it. it worked, or something. <laughs> Both well for Man United fans. But yeah, I think, I think he used it. And also, interestingly, despite the heat, it was, you know, Holland that scored the goals in the 88th and then 90-something minutes. They obviously had something left in, in the tank. And uh, it, was, it was them that really kind of sort of started the, started the late show. They, if everyone else has decided they wouldn't bother scoring a goal in the first 85 minutes. Just, just leave it till the end. That does seem generally... Just to interrupt our flow a little bit there, but just generally did seem to be the way in this this second round. Just a really slow builder. I think six out of the eight um, were nil nil at half time, and then it always seemed to be in the either in the last minutes of full time or the last minutes of extra time. Just goals, an amazing drama. Perhaps it's down to the um, formatting of the tournament though. After three games in eight days for most, you know, for every country that's got there, perhaps it's just a bit of a taking stock. You don't want to go out at this stage. You know, just just. Keep it, keep it calm, and then if you can get through here, that's when you start to turn it on for those last, hopefully, three games. Yeah, no, that definitely would make a lot of sense. Um, last, uh, a word. I know it's probably been done to death, but Robin has uh, admitted that he dived. Do you think it's appropriate, um, Alex, that FIFA just sort of shrug their shoulders and uh, sort of sweep that one under the carpet, or should he be retrospectively punished? Uh, I don't really know what you, what you can do about it. I mean, he's admitted it. He said he's not proud of it. And I don't know how much sort of retrospectively banning would do it. And then, I mean, then you've got to start retrospectively banning people that, that don't admit it as well. Or are you punishing people that admit it? I just think it's better just maybe just, just left alone. <laughs> Let it go. Just, just, I just don't want it. It just sounds like murky. Never it sounds happened. like dirty, murky water. <laughs> All right. And then fi- finally, say goodbye to Ochoa. Lovely hair, lovely performances. Yeah, well, he's he's out of contract as well, isn't he? So yeah. who knows? Maybe he'll be popping up somewhere near us soon. Yeah, I hope so. Costa Rica, Greece. Um, 
it kind of out of all of the games it did seem like this one might be the dullest and it, that generally did seem to play out but it did kind of come to life um in the last minute greece grabbing that equalizer <laughs> alex, main, and main I, alex and i have had a real falling out over greece in this tournament oh, uh, one of you love greece and one of you hate them mainly because they knocked out didier and alex was furious about that i've really warmed to greece as I do every two years, that they can be so pragmatic and almost manage to get through without scoring. It's just, it's pure minimalism. It's it's fantastic. It's what we all strive for. It's like a postmodern sort of perform artistic performance. It is. Way. I hate them. <laughs> I, just, I just hate them. Especially on, on Sunday night, I've been away for the weekend, I was pretty tired. I thought, yeah, you know what? This game will wrap up. I'll get an early-ish night. It'll be all right. Trust their centre back to scuff scuff a late equaliser in. It's totally unsettling down for extra time. Just summed it all up for me. I was just I was absolutely livid. Having Some... said that, Costa Rica. Oh well, Costa Rica angry. What a penalty shootout! Yeah. Such high quality. And uh, props to Navas. What a save! Lil. Yeah. Well, he, he made a say a couple of great saves in extra and uh, well in normal time from Matroglu as well, who looks more terrifying every time I see him. Something from your nightmares. That's that's definitely what he looks like. Um, let's move on to France, Nigeria. Hands up. I didn't see this one, I'm afraid. I don't know if you've got any points in this. All, all, all I've um, seen from the highlights in particular is that Giroud and Benzema, they ain't mixing. Like orange and toothpaste. There was only one pass uh, between the two in the first half. So I'm not sure if Deschamps is going to continue with that, that pairing. But um, Griezmann's been getting a lot of praise for his performance coming on the subs bench yeah I think they looked a bit more effective I think obviously with Griezmann's performance but also moving Benzema into more of a more of a central role I think he's even more attacking there him and Giroud didn't quite seem to work together they, they, they jarred a little bit I mean I would kind of just had this on at work so I was dipping in and out but it seemed like a pretty frenetic game Nigeria had a good go and then France seemed to get seemed to get a little bit rough with them I can't remember his name but there's a poor Nigerian player that I think got a, got a broken ankle uh, yeah. at the hands of the sweet being France beefed up after playing Honduras <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Right, that's how that's how you do it. So um, yeah, that they um, they, they laid the laid the smackdown on Nigeria a bit, and um, again a late show, two late-ish goals to, to to see him through. But you'd say that, and it was a shame that it was that, that and uh, that the Nigerian keeper and Yemma made the mistake because he's been brilliant all tournament. But um, yeah, so fine margins as we say, and a couple of late goals. See in the last eight. It does seem like we've had some world-class goalkeeping, doesn't it, in this tournament? It really seems to have stood out this year. I think I think they've really shone partly because because of a lot of defending's been pretty awful. So I think a lot of keepers have been busy. Don't ruin it. Um, can you still hear me, Alex? Yes. I can. Sorry, I think I just cut you off there. Yeah, the Algerian keeper as well. He was pretty damn impressive against Germany. If we can just move on to that game now, what what was interesting about this is it wasn't just. Um, minnows just here and there sniping an attack. They were standing toe to toe with Germany for the best part of an hour, forcing Neuer to play like some sort of midfielder. Sometimes his heat map's great as well. That yeah, <laughs> stunning, like Jackson Pollock. <laughs> Amazing scenes. I think they're just going to convert him like they did with Philip Lahm, just sort of bring him into cent- in defensive midfield. <laughs> that would be amazing. But I, I, I yeah. That game was, yeah, stunning performance from Algeria on the day of the Algerias. Obviously, it's now France-Germany. But, you know, Germany looked a bit a bit off-key. Again, perhaps tired from the schedule. Uh, the evening game can be a bit more sapping, I think, a bit more humid. But 
I'm just still surprised Closer didn't get the winner. I was prepared to sell a kidney at 0-0 85 minutes for a 1-0 Closer, but it never came around. But Scherler looked pretty good. Uh, Alex is a Chelsea fan. Yeah, he looked he looked tasty. I think he gave them a different option. Was 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 looking pretty pretty tricky on the wing, and obviously scored scored the opening goal. I, I got caught out again trying to um, be efficient with with the breaks in play. You know, I, we discussed earlier in the tournament. I make my sandwiches at half time of the late game this morning. <laughs> That's so sweet. This time I ran upstairs to go and to go and brush my teeth, put my pajamas on. That's <laughs> how so I got back. They'd already scored. I missed it. I really, I really, I didn't estimate the gap between the end of full time and the start of extra time. I always forget that's a much shorter gap. Quite quick. Cool. Out, but my teeth were. I've no doubt you're going to be having to do that sequence at least two or three more times this World Cup. So much um, extra time. Argentina... It's like wants us to have extra more. <laughs> what, what what's in the sandwiches? Is it ham and? Uh, at the moment, ham and mayonnaise with a bit of lettuce. Okay. But knock it, keep it simple. Argentina, Switzerland. Um, the man grabbing the headlines for good and bad reasons is Angel Di Maria. Stinky, stinky match. Apparently gave away possession on 51 occasions. But pretty much his last, his last kick of the game was to actually actually win it. Um, quite an incredible performance. Um, Messi, I don't know if you've seen this picture of him. Picture of him um, but of course, everyone's saying that he's gradually dragging Argentina, kicking and screaming to glory. And uh, there's a picture of um, Messi winning all four Man of the Match awards so far. Just all of them combined. Just really? pictorially explain what's happening if you weren't even aware of it. Yeah, he's man of the match in all of their games so far. Amazing. And and although he didn't score the winner this time, he pretty much made it skipping past challenges when you think he'd be running on empty and a perfect ball to Di Maria. Bit of a bit of a lost opportunity, do you think, from Switzerland? They really sort of turned it on in terms of technique, speed and um, desire to win in the last few minutes of extra time, but didn't really seem to have it during most of the game yeah it, it seemed a bit like their priority was really just to stay solid defend and then maybe pick them off and i mean they were incredibly organized and really stifled argentina and you think maybe they're running down the clock and trying to nick nick a goal or, or go to penalties and they almost got one at the end as well a header against the post and then the rebound went wide drama scenes right we've looked to the past after this sting we shall look in our crystal ball to the world cup future the quarterfinals Okay, the World Cup. It's had its fun. It's been gleeful. It's been joyful. We've had some nice goals, some nice tackles. We've had some nice strikes. But now it's time to mop away all the frivolities of that. It's business time. Everyone's putting their suits on, cufflinks, ties. Let's do this. Uh, before we have a little mini previews of all the games coming up, Alex. Apparently, there's a, quite an interesting cross-section um, that makes up these quarterfinals. It's a battle of the continents. Oh. It's a battle of the continents. I mean, if you look at the uh, the split of the quarterfinals, obviously no African teams or Asian teams have made it this far. So it's pretty straightforward. We've got four European teams, four teams from the Americas, obviously three from South America and Costa Rica uh, flying the flag for CONCACAF. Uh, and it's quite interesting if you look back at the last few tournaments in terms of the splits of different teams in the quarterfinals. So we go back to 1990. I'll go European team first, then America's team. You've got 6-1, the 94, it's 7-1, 98, 6-2, 2002, 4-2. Then, then the Americas start to ramp it up a bit. 2006, it's 6-2. Then 2010, it was 3-4, actually, more Americas than Europeans. And this is the first time, 
I don't know if it's ever, but it's four all straight down the middle. I think wow. it's the most team. I think it's the most teams from the Americas uh, in the quarters since Mexico in the. Uh, hang on, uh, yeah, since Mexico in 1970, other than uh, South Africa. So um, yeah, sorry, I've been throwing a lot of numbers at you there, but basically, lovely, lovely little split. And we should also mention it's the first time in a World Cup that it's all eight group winners. Yes, that is very neat and tidy indeed. I love, I love that the battle of the continents. It just sounds like a, a Michael Bay film. It's just going to happen sooner or later. Hopefully, they're uh, no robots though. Well, we'll see. Uh, Colombia, Brazil. Let's start there. Question here is: obviously, we've got two golden boys here, Neymar and Rodriguez. Who has got the best team around them? Discuss. I, I just don't know. I just, I just don't. I just don't know. I think Colombia have probably been the one team this tournament that have looked dangerous and and played really, really well throughout. But then there's an argument that I know they did beat Uruguay, but there's an argument they haven't had a big, big test. That their group was fairly straightforward with Greece, Ivory Coast, and Japan. So this is going to be their first big, big test. But having said that, you know, Brazil have looked a little bit dodgy and they and they, they struggled against Chile at times. So I could maybe see Colombia sneaking this one. Yeah, you're going for Colombia? Uh, yeah, sure, why not? Paddy, do you reckon? I, yeah, I can just see Brazil, <laughs> Brazil somehow, somehow getting over the line. It's going the distance, I'll tell you that much. Yeah, I think it's going to, it's going to be gritty extra time yeah i'm with paddy on that one i'm gonna go brazil okay next up france germany a real battle of two european footballing titans here where to begin france obviously i guess the the main difference here is france are full of youth and vigor and germany are a bit of a powerhouse when it comes to experience and doing the job at this stage who do you think is going to win in the end alex youth or experience well, I think also you're this German team are, are are quite young as well. I mean, this is kind of the class of 2010. They're now, you know, four years older. But I mean, Thomas Muller's still only what is he 24, 25? No, or I don't say that. It's just incredible. And just Germany, just they just find a way, don't they? They always get to the semi-finals, no matter what. I know France have looked great in the group stage. They didn't look great against Ecuador, but they were already through. Bit touch and go against Nigeria, and I just think that that experience that Germany had, just that mindset, just that efficiency, where just the occasion just doesn't seem to get to them until the semi-finals at least, and they, they're just they're always there. Not a little bit concerned how shaky Germany looked at the back against Algeria. Um, yes, I, th- I think so. I think there's talk that with uh, with a couple of injuries now that Lahm might re- might move back to right back, which I think might shore them up a little bit, and it means that you can have Schweinsteiger and Kadira in the middle as well. Uh, but having said that, I don't think, you know, France are necessarily the most, you know, uh, sort of solid at the back either. I don't think, I don't think anyone is. Uh, I, again, it's, it's a tight one. It's a tight one to call, but I could see maybe a, a Germany win with that, with close to breaking that record. Ah, oh, perfect. Paddy? I'll go France. Valbuena's pulled the strings. He's really seemed to have come into his own finally in this tournament after being on the the periphery for the last few years for both club and country. I think he's a kind of tricky little player that Germany can't quite go uh, cope with. I can see France in this one. Cool. I'm going to go with Paddy on that, and I'd pick out Paul Pogba because he's just he's made an enormous improvement um, since that first group game. Okay, next up, Belgium. The victors over USMNT and Argentina. Who? This is 
potentially the real coming of age moment for Belgium. They've done pretty damn good so far. Obviously been labelled as the Dark Horses for about 73 years. Now is their chance to get a big scalp. Do you think they're going to do it? Um, I, I, Again, I just, I just don't know these games. It's going to be interesting looking at the Argentinian side of thing. I know we're touching with Colombia, but they haven't had a real, real big test yet. And, you know, I know Belgium are one of the sort of the, the outsiders to win the tournament, but they're still sort of in that group of teams. And Argentina haven't, haven't been fantastic. Having said that, Messi has just pulled them through. And I think someone like Messi could, could be the difference again. I think Belgium have been solid at the back, but maybe haven't quite done enough up front so far. But they do have that quality. And, and Edson Hazard is, is due a big performance, you'd imagine. Yeah, he's been a bit... A bit lukewarm, yeah. If you, you can see, if you see him performing, and maybe Belgium stringing it out to extra time, they've got such a fantastic bench, as we saw against the US. You think they might just get the edge in extra yeah. time? So and, I think Argentina need to put them away in the first half. I think you're right, and I think those those big Belgian strikers, or Origi and Lukaku, could could really bully that defence as well. Paddy, here you go. Uh, Argentina. I felt last night, especially Belgium, didn't quite seem to be the sum of their parts. Um, but whenever they had a corner, which was very, very often against the US, <laughs> you, you always just expecting company to to appear out of nowhere and slam one in. But I, I think Argentina in that one. Okay. And what did I get an answer out of you, Alex? I'll go Argentina, Messi dragging them through. Can he drag them through yet again? Okay. I'll, I'm probably going to begrudgingly go with that as well. Argentina to win that one. Holland. Costa Rica, our last matchup, um, have a little bit of similarities. They, they bloody love a bit of counter-attacking, sort of playing five-ish at the back um, with um, lots of um, attacking fullbacks. Um, but that's kind of where the similarities end. Most people would pick this game out as the most clear-cut, an obvious 3-1 or a 2 niler to Holland. Are Costa Rica likely to cause any trouble to Holland, do you think, Alex? Um, yeah, I, I think quite possibly. I mean, you look at the, <clears throat> their two uh, their two big results in the group stage against Uruguay and Italy. They're teams that you know traditionally are bigger than them, probably got better quality players, and they went for them. And Costa Rica could play that counter attacking game. It was when they came up against Greece, who we all know don't have the most uh, attacking int- intent, uh, but they were having okay. to sit back as well. <laughs> Let it but, go, uh, Alex. I'm sorry, sorry to mention them again, but. Um, they weren't really coming at Costa Rica. I think that's why you had a little bit of a stalemate, whereas Holland are going to go into this as real favourites. You imagine they're probably going to, going to go for it and maybe have their wing-backs bombing on, and maybe that's just going to leave a bit of space that Costa Rica can exploit. And when they've got players like Brian Ruiz and Joel Campbell, who, who as, as we know, can, can finish off a move, and they've got a lot of players working very hard and they know the system well, I don't know if it'll be enough to get through, but I think they'll, I think they'll run the Dutch close and I can see them scoring. Paddy? Yeah, similar vibes. I'm wondering if they might be a bit, bit tired. Obviously, Holland had that that heat, but there are a lot of uh, Costa Rican players who were pretty much walking for the last for the last half hour the other night, um, which against Greece is all you need to really do anyway. But they did look especially tired. I, it's a cliche, but I think maybe just a game too far for them. Yeah, head says Holland, heart. I think all of us, all neutrals, says Costa Rica. They have been. Without doubt, one of the biggest stories of the tournament so far. 
There we go, chaps. Um, our predictions, they're there. Do you, th do you think that's a valuable con contribution to the footballing world, Alex? Do you think that's going to be helpful for people as they navigate their way into these exceptional four games? I'd like to think so. I, I, I'd like to think that that the uh, Colombian coach will be playing out my prediction before their uh, before their match against Brazil, just to give them that extra bit of motivation they need. And uh, Paddy, before we go, and you uh, give us the usual contact details. What, what's going to be your lasting memory of that sweaty, sweaty night last night in the old King's Head? I don't know. You put me on the spot. I, I think every every Howard save being cheered like it was a goal. Yeah. And every time America got the ball, there'll be a guy behind me going, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I, I couldn't even pinpoint that one night. I said it when we're on with Nathan, just the way it builded from the uh, Portugal game to the Germany game to, to last night. It's just, yeah, stunning. It's been a pleasure and we've, we've had so much um, goodwill and um, some fantastic um, connections and, and friendships have been made out of it. So thanks to anyone who chatted to us. Much appreciated. Um, Patrick, if anyone wants to get in touch with us, how may they do it? You can tweet us at AFRVoice or email AFRVoice at gmail.com. Uh, we were just having a chat. Our next show is probably likely to be after the semi-finals. Is that right? Yeah, that sounds good. So we will be chatting to you when there are just two teams left in the World Cup and whoever closer we'll be scoring a cheap hat-trick against in the third place playoff oh my god 32 down to two we'll see you then thank you very much alex cheers thank you very much paddy thank you and the great stuff thank you very much nathan mcvitty much appreciated and thank you you the listener we'll see you soon goodbye <laughs>